0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror's Crime Podcast. I'm Paul Healy, I'm Crime Correspondent with Boat Papers, and I'm joined, as always, by Michael O'Toole, Crime and Defence Editor with Boat Papers. Hello, Michael.
1: Hello, Paul. How are you? Welcome. Uh, Hello from Kilkenny.
0: Kilkenny. What are you up to today?
1: The 123rd Infantry Battalion and the Defence Forces are heading off to UNIFIL. In southern Lebanon, so I'm I'm, I'm down here. Uh, the Jamie hall Martin, who's obviously Minister for Defence as well as Foreign Affairs, uh, was there for a ministerial parade, for a ministerial review today. So we were just asking about the dangers facing the troops and that sort of thing. So I'm I'm recording this from a car park.
0: Oh, very good. Um, well, look. As always, uh, we we have, but there's plenty of other uh, things that we're working on. As oh, and and you know, we will come back to hopefully doing podcasts on on other topics. But we are still in the throes of uh, this trial, this murder trial, the trial of Joseph Puska. Uh, and today was the 11th day of the trial. And Michael, you were in the 10th day of the trial there on Friday. And we're going to sum up kind of both days today uh, before we we come towards the end of this trial. Uh, possibly this week. So just to briefly remind people, uh, Mr. Puska, Slovakian national, he is accused of the murder of Ashling Murphy, uh, which occurred on the 12th of January, 2022. Uh, he has pleaded not guilty to that charge. And as I said, we are now on the 11th day of that trial before a jury of nine men and three women. So on Friday, just there was evidence in relation to DNA, which we're going to go through in a minute, Michael, And then today there was evidence in relation again to the alleged admissions in the hospital and uh, basically an expert uh, in relation to uh, the medication that Mr. Puska was on and whether or not that medication would have had any uh, impact or effect on his ability to speak and on uh, his alleged confession, um, uh, which was two days after the murder of of Miss Murphy. So, I propose we'll talk about Friday because we didn't get to talk about friday last week and and you were there in court, Mick, and the first uh, witness that we heard from was Dr Lorna flanagan
1: yes so the the evidence on Friday was really about two things: firstly, the evidence of Dr Flanagan, who is uh, who works for forensic Science Ireland, is a DNA expert effectively, and then the second aspect of the second tranche of the evidence that day was about the arrest and charge of Mr Puska after he was discharged from hospital in Tullamore. I think it was on the 18th of January 2022. So uh, six days after Miss Murphy was killed. But as I say, the first tranche uh, of evidence was from Dr Flanagan. Now, Dr Flanagan, as I say, she is a DNA expert, has worked for Forensic Science Ireland for eight years and is heavily involved in DNA profiling. So um, essentially she said that a DNA profile taken from under the fingernails of Iceland Murphy's two hands matched two samples taken from Joseph puska Now, she, she had earlier told the court that the possibility of the DNA belonging to any other anyone other than a male relative of Mr. Puska was one in 14,000. Now, Anne-Marie Lawler, who is the Chief State Prosecutor, said that there is no suggesting that any of other of Mr. Puska's male relatives, because it was a male DNA profile, had any contact with uh, Miss Murphy. And in fact, there was evidence later in the day that uh, two brothers of Mr. Puska, Gardie, examined their movements on the day that uh, Joseph Puska allegedly murdered Miss Murphy, and they very quickly established that they weren't anywhere near the alleged murder scene at the time of the alleged murder of Miss Murphy.
0: Right. So the, the the court just heard how those DNA samples were taken from Miss Murphy's fingernails, and then there was a sample we know taken from from Mister Puska as well. So I mean, she she determined that the, as you said, there's a one in fourteen thousand chance of it being, um being any male unrelated to him. So it's not necessarily a one in 14,000 chance of him, but it's him or anyone related to him. Is that how the, the process uh, yes. Is explained?
1: She, yes, it was quite interesting. She said she, uh, she concentrated obviously she took the, the samples from under Miss Murphy's uh, finger of, of both hands and she said a, a sample there would be an indication of more than a social contact. So she, she, she said she took them from the fingernails of both hands. Now, she already had two other DNA samples. One was of Mr. Puska's blood, and another was what was called a buccal swab or a swab taken from the, the mouth. So she said uh, that the DNA, the male DNA profile from under Miss Murphy's fingernails, matched the two profiles taken from this uh, taken from the samples obtained from Mr. Puska. And as she said, it was a one in fourteen thousand chance of it belonging to any male unrelated to him.
0: Mm-hmm. And she had access to a, a, a European-wide database in relation to that. Uh, I believe she told the court.
1: Yes, and and Michael Bowman, as our listeners will know, he's a senior counsel who is Mr. Puska's defence barrister, and he asked Dr. Flanagan if the DNA register she had access to would have included samples from. Quotes ethnic Romani Slovaks, and Dr. Flanagan said that they would have been on the register. It was a, it's quite a, a large register from all over the European Union.
0: Okay, and we heard evidence on Friday as well in relation to when the uh, w- when the accusation was put towards Mr. Buska when he was under arrest, and I suppose the difference uh, in, in what he told gardi then uh, from when he had earlier spoken to Gardi in the hospital. Um, what was of note?
1: Yeah, he essentially he was charged, and the way it works is you're charged at the Garda station. So he was discharged from uh, St James's Hospital in Dublin. He was arrested at the at the hospital, and he was brought to Tullamore Garda station. Now there will be some more evidence within we'll a minute, but after a day of a day in custody, he, he was charged with the murder of Miss Murphy. Now the way it works is the charges put to you, then you're cautioned, and then you're asked if you have any. You want to say anything in response. And when he was, when he when he was charged, the court there had heard that he replied simply no.
0: He replied no. And then we 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 heard this evidence on my right from detective inspector Brian Farrell. He was on the witness stand.
1: Yes. So Brian Farrell, he's detective inspector, so he would be one of the two most senior, what are called SIO, senior investigating officers. The other would be uh, detective superintendent Pat O'Callaghan. They're the two real senior leaders of the investigation. So he was, uh, Inspector Farrell, who would have delegated, for example, people to go to the hospital to talk to Mr. Puska, he confirmed that in his notes, he referred to Mr. Puska as an SO or a suspected offender rather than a person of interest. We know Mm. that Detective Sergeant Jennings, Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings, who interviewed Mr Puska when he is alleged to have made this admission, would have called him a person of interest. Um, now, the, the quote from uh, Detective Inspector Farrell in relation to a person, person of interest is, it's not a term I would use. So for him, it's really suspect offenders and that's it. So he confirmed that Mr Puska, as I said, he, he, had, he had gone to hospital on the 13th of January, Uh, We know that uh, Miss Murphy was killed on the 12th of January. He was in hospital on the 13th. He was brought there from his parents' home in Crumlin, in South Dublin. And uh, the inspector, Inspector Farrell, confirmed that Mr Pusco was arrested on on the 18th of January, so six days after uh, the the death of Miss Murphy.
0: Okay, And and he said that there were suspicions that Joseph Pusco was the man on the bicycle at that point in time when they wanted to speak to him. But I think that there had been evidence about uh, the arrest of, an, of another man prior to them looking at Mr. Puska.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned Paddle o'callaghan the detective superintendent who's above Inspector Farrell. So he was next to the stand and he confirmed that there had been another man arrested on the 12th of January. That was the same day that Miss Murphy had had died. Now, he said that man gave consistent accounts in seven interviews. So he was held for a number of hours and he was interviewed seven times. And he gave, excuse me, he gave consistent interviews. Uh, he was consistent in the seven interviews of where he had been around the time of Miss Murphy's death. And he also said that, he had those accounts were corroborated by the 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 other man's mother and grandmother. So that man was released at around ten thirty p.m. on the thirteenth of January, after DNA and fingerprints uh, had had cleared him. And we all know that uh, roughly around the same time or just beforehand, Gardy from Tullamore had first gone to Saint James's Hospital to try to speak to Mister Puska. That was uh, I think it was around nine o'clock on the thirteenth. Mm. But they did not get to speak to him last night. That, that night they returned on the 14th, and that's when it's alleged that Mr. Puska made his admissions. But the uh, but by half ten, when the other man was released, the officer, uh, Superintendent O'Callaghan, did say that at that stage, Mr. Puska had what he said was entered the frame.
0: Okay, and he said the view was that Mr. Puska may have been a man seen on CCTV on a bike, um, but at that point in time, he wasn't. Um, being looked at as a as a as a suspect as such, and then, as you said, their attention turned to him after the fact when this other mail was released.
1: Yeah, and he and he did say that nobody in the investigation team had laid laid eyes on Mister Puska <clears throat> until Detective Garda Hogan, F- Fergus Hogan, and Detective Sergeant Brian Jennings went up on the fourteenth and spoke to Mister Puska. But. Uh, the superintendent was clear from viewing the CCTV on the day. He said, "I suspected that Mr. Puska was the Neil on the bicycle."
0: Okay, and then we heard evidence about the the arrest of Mr. Puska, that he was taken to Tullamore Garda Station, and then as we as we were just talking about when he was charged and what he said after caution, and he simply just said that word, "No." Yes.
1: Very simple word, yeah. So he was arrested. It was Detective Sergeant Brian Scahill who went from Tullamore to St James's Hospital, and he arrested. Uh, he said at eleven thirty-one on the eighteenth, eleven 31, 31 a.m. I arrested Mr Joseph Puska for the event, the, the offence of murder of Miss Isley Murphy. He told the court. So then he was then brought. He was he was uh, he cautioned Mr Puska after the arrest, and he said he nodded his understanding. He was then brought to Tullamore Garda Station. Got there. Fifty nine minutes later, at 1230 p.m., and he was held, detained overnight, and he was charged with Miss Mur- Murphy's murder at nineteen forty two. So eighteen minutes to 8 on January the nineteenth, and as we've said, he replied no after the caution, after the ca- arrest, charge and caution.
0: Okay, is that that's more or less the, the the evidence that was heard on Friday?
1: Yeah, just one other thing. Uh, Michael Bowman asked both that. Detective Sergeant Scal and another officer who was the member in charge, um, basically, was there there any people outside when the guards were brought Mr. Pusk in and Detective Sergeant Scal said, look, I went to the rear of the guard station. I, I couldn't really call if there were people outside. And then so it was Kira Martin, who was the member in charge. So that was the person who's separate from the investigation team who has to look after the welfare of all prisoners. And she said she was anywhere aware of any crowd. And Miss, Mr. Bowman then asked her if she left the station at any time for a coffee or a biscuit. And, and Mr. Hunt, Tony Hunt, who's the trial judge, said this trial is about what happened in the ditch. What has this got to do with the ditch? And Mr. Bowman's explanation for that was, was, it was in relation to whether there was a crowd outside the station. So Garda Garda Martin answered that she did not leave the station. So yes, so that was the thrust of Friday's evidence. Apart from one other thing, and I think you've sort of covered this, Mr. Justice Hunt told the jury at the end of Friday that the prosecution was coming to the end of its evidence. And I think Anne-Marie Lawler said more or less the same thing to you today, or to the court today.
0: Yes, uh, Miss Lawler did tell the court, um, as the first witness was called today, um, that they were coming to the end of the prosecution's case. And then she indicated that the, the final witnesses would probably, some of them would be called out of order as such. So that's what she was flagging that we are coming towards the end of the prosecution's case. Now, ultimately today we didn't come to the end of the prosecution's case. Uh, things have gone into legal argument um, this afternoon and um the jury w- were basically told they could go home and come back uh, tomorrow afternoon so we fully expect that um the final witnesses in the prosecution's case will be called tomorrow um but there, the the first uh, and probably main witness of today was professor michael ryan and he is an expert in toxicology and pharmacology and a professor uh, has been a professor in ucd and um is is an expert of of many years the court heard um he was called in and to do a report ultimately on the, uh, the any medication and the general care of Joseph Puska when he was in St. James's Hospital to remind people, and we have been speaking about it here, that when Mr. Puska was in hospital on the 13th and 14th, that he had interactions with Gardy, it was on the 14th that he made this alleged confession to the murder of Ashling Murphy and said those words, um, I am the murderer. Um, so the, the issue that Professor uh, Ryan was uh, asked to address before the court was whether or not Josef Puska was under the influence of any drugs um, that could affect his mood or could influence his ability uh, to speak or could have affected um, him in making this confession to Gardi, And in a nutshell, the professor basically concluded that no, there was no medication that Mr. Puska was under the influence of that would have uh, that ability to affect uh, him in any way.
1: So I understand that he, uh, he give evidence that Mr. Puska underwent keyhole surgery on the night of January the 13th. So that's the night before... Detective Sergeant Jennings and Detective Garda Hogan spoke to him and he made made his alleged confession and that he'd been administered morphine and another drug to stop any bleeding. But I understand the the professor or Mr. Ryan give evidence of what other medication he'd been given, including an an anaesthetic.
0: Yeah, anesthetic fentanyl, uh, a neuromuscular blocking agent and antibiotics he was given, and he said that was all part of a standard medical procedure. Um, He was asked about those drugs and just whether or not any of them would have still been in Mr. Puska's system by the time Gardy were interviewing him at six o'clock in the evening the following day. And he said, no, they all would have been out of his system by that point in time.
1: And I also understand that the professor examined the notes. Obviously, notes are always taken of, of every patient. So he had yeah. something to say about the, the notes.
0: Yeah, he said that it was just the notes. Uh, fr- the, uh, you know, these, no- these are all extensive notes, he said, that, were, uh, that showed the, the routine. He said it was all quite routine that the uh, medical professionals uh, observed Mr. Puska and said that he was alert, uh, that he was awake and he was comfortable and, and not in any form of distress on the 14th of January and then in relation to the Oxy- sorry in relation to the drugs that he was alleged to uh, have been given there was only one drug in his system on the 14th uh, so so all those other drugs that we mentioned that he was administered uh, for the surgery he said were out of his system but there would have only been one drug in his system and that was oxycodone
1: and he did say i think that mr Puska couldn't have had any more than 8.25 milligrams of oxy- oxycodone in his system at the time.
0: Yes, so the court heard, and and Professor Ryan concluded, and he had done two separate studies, that uh, looked at the effects of oxycodone on patients uh, in low doses of below 10 milligrams. And uh, this is all quite technical, but it's just to explain to people that the issue at hand here uh, was whether or not and this is what he was being asked to confirm whether or not this Oxycontin would have any um, impact on Mr. Puska's mental ability. And he was basically saying this is very low dosage. The, the max dose that he would have been under would have been 8.25 milligrams based off a series of of dosages he had been given that day at when Gardner were speaking to him. And the two studies basically concluded uh, that it, they would have no effect on a person's mental ability in, in any way, um, that the drug in such a low dosage wouldn't affect anybody uh, in their ability to speak or in their ability to think or anything of that nature.
1: And I think he told the court there was no evidence to support any notion that oxycodone had had, had affected his admission to guardia or had any relation to his uh, admission yeah. to guardia.
0: He was asked that question directly by the prosecuting uh, uh, barrister, Miss Anne Marie Lawler, and he said, "Yeah, no, wouldn't have affected in any way uh, that admission." Um, just again, he 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 said several times that these are very low doses. Uh, he was at he was asked in cross examination by the defence about that, and um, in particular about two doses uh, that he was given in close succession, Mr. Puska. That is, um, he was given a dosage sometime in the afternoon after three o'clock, and then again uh, around four o'clock. At that interview with Gardier was around six o'clock. So he was being asked, you know, um, by the defense that, cause this is effectively a painkiller, right? He was being asked, obviously this indicates that Mr. Puska was in some degree of pain. That's why he needed a second dosage of this so soon after the first. And professor Ryan said, well, look, I mean, it does indicate that that's a possibility. Yes. um, Professor Ryan was also challenged by the defence in relation to uh, whether he because he said that he had extensive notes, including Garda notes, and he was being asked, did he read all of the Garda notes? and in particular, um, the evidence of, uh, detective Garda Hogan, who spoke about, uh, an interaction that he had with Mr. Puska and how ultimately the, uh, conversation with Mr. Puska had to come to a conclusion because he was in a distressed state and that he needed, uh, some form of medical attention. And the professor was asked whether he read that or whether he recollected reading that. And he said that he hadn't, but he did go on to sort of say his job was not to examine in detail Garda notes, but to give his expert, uh, opinion on whether the medication that Mr Puska had taken would have any effect on his bil- ability to speak to Gardy or to confess uh, in any way and it wasn't to uh, examine in, in detail.
1: I, and But he did say that it wasn't that uh, a detail but Mr Puska was probably in what he said was a probably stressful situation at the time of speaking to Gardy.
0: Yes, uh, because the defense barrister asked him, you know, well, it does that not strike you as abnormal? That uh, so, so basically, Mister Puska, uh, Mister uh, Detective Garda Hogan said that Mister Puska didn't recall uh, seeing him earlier in the day, and the defense barrister asked the professor whether that would have struck him as abnormal that Mister Puska didn't seem to remember meeting the Garda, uh, and he said not at all. Uh, sure, he was in a very stressful situation at the time. Uh, But from a medical standpoint, from a medical standpoint, he said there was nothing unusual and that this medication, specifically this Oxycodone, wouldn't have uh, affected his mental ability whatsoever.
1: Okay, so was that the end of the professor's evidence?
0: That was the end of the professor's evidence it took up most of today as i said uh by the time we got to lunchtime uh this matter uh we were told it's going to go into legal argument so we had some other evidence today but the the professor was kind of the main strand of evidence i want to kind of briefly speak about a agarda who gave evidence um just towards the end uh, his name is sergeant anthony quinn so he's uh as a crime examiner uh, he also attended the scene. Look, there were multiple Gardaí that attended the scene. I don't propose to go through all the details again, but effectively he is the guarder who put up the forensic tent around Miss Murphy's body and um, had other items of interest covered at the scene. Um, he also went into detail about his involvement in the arrest of Josef Puska on the 18th of January and how he took uh, fingerprint swabs and a DNA uh, mouth swab from Mr. Puska. And he also was involved in taking photographs of Mr. Busca. And those photographs were shown to the jury this afternoon. And we were uh, given a description of those photos and they showed his hands, his arms and his legs. And the Garda described scratch marks on each. And the jury were shown those. There were six photographs in total.
1: Okay, and just just a quick reference to another doctor, Dr. Afan Bajwa. I believe he would have examined or he met the accused at Tullamore Garda Station on the 18th of January after his arrest.
0: Yes, uh, Dr. Bajwa, uh, as he said, he attended Tullamore Garda Station on the 18th and he was briefly called to just confirm his attendance there and that he examined Mr. Puska and he said that he was conscious and orientated uh, and he was fit to be interviewed and he had no active concerns about his health and he left the Garda Station. Uh, just that you you noted, uh, Mick, that there was evidence on Friday uh, um, uh, th- where a witness was asked about whether there was activity, whether there was people outside the Garda Station and uh, I believe the doctor was asked that as well. Well, and what entrance that he went in, so that was brought up by the defence.
1: And what did he say? Did he talk about a crowd or anything? Or
0: yeah, I mean, it was no notion to the court that yeah, there did appear to be a crowd outside. Yes.
1: Okay. So was that that was us for the day? Was it, Paul?
0: That was us for the day. As I say, it's gone. It went into legal argument in the afternoon. Uh, it's been indicated that we're coming to the end of the prosecution's case. Um, so I anticipate. Although you never know in a criminal trial, and we're not, uh, we, we're, we're not privy to what happens next, but um, we, we may well be talking about the conclusion of this trial this week. So th- thanks again for everybody uh, listening. Uh, thank you to Mick, and we hope to be back with another update tomorrow or in the coming days.